tacos down. Yeah. I mean, and, I'm, I'm pretty sure. You got a so. whole catering like as a smorgasbord. I yeah, we, that's, we get that's after. How you should do it. We we have cooking contests there. Like we do about anything we can to make it fun and to make it. You know, a really fun place. I mean, I've been there. Cooking contest. Oh yeah, oh. at the dealership. Chili, chili cook-offs, rib cook-offs, you name it. We we will get into whatever. If if somebody has an idea and wants to try something, we'll we'll get after That's it. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, hey guys, uh, welcome to the fifth episode of Carjacks. Here we are. And um, I want to say uh, welcome, and we appreciate you listening. And you know, we pr- I'd like to say thanks to our three listeners. Yeah, you know what? And, and I, th- I think we're here. We're, we're here. We're <laughs> yeah. on it. Yes. So this episode's going to be a banger. Yeah, it is. So um, I'm Cole, and say hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. And um, in the hot seat today, we have um, a guy that I worked with at uh, the largest Buick GMC store. Uh, was it Pontiac Buick GMC then? It was. It was, right? Started. Yeah, and I believe it was the largest one, if I'm remembering correctly, the largest volume store outside of Detroit, because obviously that's a different animal, Sure. east of the Mississippi. And I know for a fact, for a number of years, we were the number one Denali dealer in the country. We sold more Denalis than, I mean, you would walk out there and there'd be yeah. $4 billion worth of uh, Denalis. You know, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, and um, that's where I met Mike. Yeah. And Mike Ambler's here in the hot seat. And... Um, you know, Mike and I clicked. Yeah, I think so. You know? Yeah, um, I mean, it's one of those things where, and, you know, I always have a funny saying is, you know, I used to have a thing. It's like, hey, don't talk to me till you qualify for insurance. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. I actually already said that yeah. on the show. Yeah, that's my thing. And, and it's not because it's not a rudeness thing. It's just when you work in a store of that size, you have 30 to 50 salespeople. There would be people walking with the deal, and I'm like, oh, you work here? Like, yeah. oh, awesome. Nice well, to meet well, you. Well, you know, like, so every Monday – We'd come into the sales meeting and um, we'd have four or five new people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when at the hot, at the height yeah. of that store, um, being brand new point, um, you know, it was a, uh, and, and and we, you were not the old store. No, no, I was in the new store only. So yes. the old store, um, we, this is a true story. The, this this dealership at that time was Pontiac Buick and GMC, and uh, we were in a flood zone. Yeah, right. Yeah. And um, a literal flood jo- zone, which means when, when it would, you know, an ample amount of rain, which happens multiple times a year, yeah, um, you'd have to sandbag the dealership. Yeah, this is a true story. And and helicopters flying over, and we're out front fishing. Yeah, and then Andy calling <laughs> and uh, saying, uh, "Why are you fishing out in front of the store?" You know, um, but we w- that store was doing three hundred cars a month. Yeah, with a, a one prime finance guy, one uh, spy, spy fi, and uh, 12 salespeople. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind, 25-plus years ago, what it was like to do a deal. I mean, there were three pieces of paper, you know, uh, a check, you know, may- maybe a credit application if there was – I mean, it was so much easier. Now, now you're – on an average deal, now you're printing 25 forms. Yeah. It, and eight of them say the same thing. It's insane. Yeah, and where do you, where do you see that going? Are you digital? Uh, partially, you know, you, you do as much e-contract digital stuff as you can, but there's still a lot of paperwork. BMV is never going to go full digital. Um, I'm sure there are ways to do it, but it's pro- like, quite frankly, I can print paperwork quicker than most digital. You know, you have to get everything ready and, you know, between uh, either, a, you know, an iPad, you know, the, the e-desk, you know, that, that Reynolds and Reynolds provides or an iPad like what we use for Route 1. You're, you're, you're really getting into time management at that point. Um, now you can get your money quicker if you're e-contracting in theory, 
but most companies you're having to pay for a contract with, you're getting your money in a day or two as long as you're sending a clean paper. How many lenders do you deal with? Oh my God, uh, currently probably thirty plus. Okay. You know, a lot of a lot of dealers they get real tied in with, they play favorites. They get real tied into a bank they like, and and we all have banks we like, but. I play no favorites. Whoever gives me the cheapest money is where I'm going. Well, so you're telling me that you've never pushed a deal to get tickets to a no zero. To, I don't to a Cubs game. No, I think you know about that. I could care less. <laughs> if I want tickets to a Cubs game, I'll get them. Well, that, you know? there is that going on, oh, and, that, and that happens, right? So yeah. I'm I know of people who have um, specifically went after a contest. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Um, which in, in the overall makeup of the dealership, um, those are the things that. Uh, um, the owner, the GM can't—they can't ever—they can't, can't stop it. They, they don't have time to police it. No, and, and quite frankly, they don't want to. Um, and I find that most of the the people in dealerships that are worried about contests and things like that are, you know, they're 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 not the optimal uh, employee for that dealership as far as you know the bottom line. But they're probably real likable and they're probably you know fit in really well. But most dealerships don't run on efficiency; they run on you know personalities. That, that's what a lot of them run on. They run on people that get along together and, and mesh. And if you happen to be profitable and you happen to be really efficient in that, it's even better. Yeah, you know, and personalities, um, you know, usually when, I, when I'm talking to somebody and even a customer in a close and you can see how they're um, – maybe they're just advertently treating you bad, right, the way yeah. they look at you and everything. Um, one of my biggest bring downs for people is I must remind you of someone. Yeah. And they're like, well, why do you say that? I go, because you don't like that person. Yeah. And you are thinking that I'm like them. Yeah. Uh, right off the bat. And so uh, I go, so 90% of personality conflicts are just that. Oh, yeah. They remind you of somebody. So right off the bat, you're like, this dude, right? But I, don't, I don't know if you did this, but I was definitely a big matching my customer up with the finance manager oh yeah you know if if you got a, a couple choices and yeah. i know i can i know this guy's gonna mesh yeah. with you yeah that's why that when that whole rotation all that stuff mm -hmm. started it was like man that's taking money out of my pocket because it's going to go to somebody where i know they're not well you know what though mike I'll, I'll bring this up because even though it was a cash deal i can remember coming to you and saying dude i really need you to do this one yeah. for this reason and um, you'd be like, all right, I'll get it in and out, you know, because you also knew the next deal I would bring you, you set up to yeah. fucking crack some skulls. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I've always found if you, and again, you know, in a, in a dealership, you know, just let me preface by this, you know, everybody talks about profit and all this. We're the only business out there that, quite frankly, you know, everybody thinks we should all work for nothing. We should all have minimal profit at best. But if you showed 95% of economists or, or financial people, your business model and said, look, I'm not going to tell you what this business is. I'm going to show you. And you tell me if you'd like to own one. And when you <laughs> yeah. sit them down and you go, okay, you have to hold four, $40 million in inventory, or let's just use a number, right? Sure. Let's 10 million, whatever that number is. And by the way, you're going to pay a not very nice interest rate on that inventory because you don't actually own it. Um, you couple that with the fact that you're, you know, quite frankly, a lot of people are making really good, you know, amount of money in a dealership. When you break down all that and you show the amount of exposure of debt that you have as a business owner compared to the profit margin. I mean, look at the profit margin on a car. If a $30,000 car has three grand markup, you're 10% profit margin. Go do that in any other business. You won't survive. Well, so the magnitude of money makes people think that you're just hand over fist making all this money. And there is a lot of money made. 
but the risk is is unreal. It is, especially from a volatile standpoint, oh, right? I mean, because the market the, so right now, right now, crazy. it's just absolutely. I mean, literally, it's so crazy over the thirty-six months what we've seen. Yeah, um, I, I've watched trucks, you know, large, you know, one to two-year-old trucks under ten thousand miles. You know, trucks that MSRP for seventy, seventy-five grand these days. I've watched these trucks run for eighty at an auction, and the next week they're running for sixty-five. So if you're a big dealer and you have to have 150, 200 cars on your lot and you all of a sudden go bad in 50% of those, you're out of business. There's not another business out there that buys inventory and doesn't know from week to week what they're going to pay for said inventory within reason. Or uh, how people are going to continue to purchase said inventory. Correct. I mean, Be it's you know Because then, the, 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 of course, interest rates yeah. and then just – you know, a 25 cent change in gas price. Well, I mean, you know, we're at a Toyota store where I'm at and, and, you know, I sit across from a Chevrolet store and, you know, they had no cars for the longest time either. Now you can pretty much walk on their lot and buy a Tahoe or a Silverado. They, they have a ton of them. Yeah. We're noticing that. In yeah. the, uh, but it's the high, high trim level. It's, it's, and what's crazy is they are, you can't they're, get, they're telling, yeah, exactly. It's the ones everybody wants. You can't get. So now you've got a bunch of $45,000 trucks sitting out here that the guy that has 45 grand wants the 65 grand one. The guy that would take the forty-five grand one probably can't get it, can't get approved for it, or doesn't have the money, or doesn't want to pay that payment. People that buy seventy thousand dollars cars don't buy what is convenient; they buy what they want, yeah. and they will pay. That's why people are paying the prices they're paying. They're paying over MSRP for cars, which is insane to me. When literally a year or two ago, it wasn't how much over MSRP are you willing to pay; it's how much under invoice are you willing to sell it for. Yeah, and that has switched literally one hundred and eighty degrees in less than two years. What's happened to all the leases? I mean. I mean, think about how many leases yeah. are out there. Then what's? I mean, there's people still leasing, but like you oh. know, a car that leased for three seventy five a year ago is four fifty now, because the money factors are terrible. That's which it. Is, it's, I thought it was more than. Oh, that it can even. be. I mean, it, oh, there are some. Like I, I did a lease for somebody on a Forerunner the other day, and I'm thinking, well, this is about a five hundred dollar payment. I know it. I've done a hundred of them. Yeah. You know, it was almost seven hundred dollars a month. I mean, well, and you're talking almost double. Well, shit, Chris. We. Your Camry that we leased for you to do car snooping. Eight hundred. It's eight hundred bucks. Yeah, it's insane. You know, yeah. but it's the right one, and it's the yeah. one we wanted. And well, and you if know. you think about it from a usage standpoint, I mean, you're just paying the depreciation in the lease. So at the end of the day, that's about what it's going. See, to that's be another better. funny thing. You're just paying the depreciation in the lease on a on a market that you really have no idea where it's going to yeah. be three years from now. You know, but you're it's another gamble. You know, that you have to convince a consumer to also get yeah. in along with you as well. Well, and the problem is you can have a great residual, but if the money factor is trash, I mean, it negates the great residual. You know, we used to see money factors at point zero 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 whatever. Now it's point zero zero three. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, triple what it was a year or two ago. So, so what was your, so technically, so like three years ago. Your point zero 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 that converted into what? A 2%? Essentially zero percent. A zero percent. I mean, rate? essentially, like you could get a money factor on a Camry, z- quad zero one. That's essentially zero percent. I mean, that's point nine percent essentially. It's all, when you look at the, the usage rental fee on your contract on one of those leases, it's like four hundred dollars. Okay, so do, um, Guru, what's so point zero zero three? Is that nine percent, ten percent? Oh, you ten or eleven percent, really? Minimum. Yeah. Yeah, I've never. I, I know there was a conversion. Yeah. Um, but uh, you don't think about it as much as you're no. just like you're you just know, looking at the payment, just the payment, just the payment, which is you the know. craziest thing you can. Well, do and then if all the other brands in the equal trim level competitor, mm-hmm. they're all mirroring about the same. So it's yeah. not like you're going to be able to go over and grab a high trim level 
um, anything no. for $100 less a month. No, and you know from being in the business, typically the most desirable cars are the hardest to lease out of the gate because they don't care if you lease them because they're all going to sell anyways. Like forerunners don't lease good anyways because they never have. Cause well, and that's what's funny sells. is I think a lot of dealers or manufacturers um, figured out if we keep inventory lower mm-hmm. um, and we're, we can not have these circumvented rates, um, higher residual right. values, we don't have to give that because we're selling right. them anyway, right? Yeah. A lot. I've read a report the other day where a lot of the manufacturers have pulled their owners and have talked. And you know, most they said I read a report and this blew my mind. They said most people that buy a car, they said less than seventy five percent of. So basically, seventy five percent of people when they buy a car buy a car that they really don't want. It's the most convenient or closest to what they actually want that's available right now. That's what they buy. So what manufacturers have figured out is, is hey, we don't need a lot, a, a lot full of 300 cars that we have to put $4,000 rebates on $35,000 cars to get people to buy. Most people, when they were pulled during the pandemic, actually said, if I could go in, order my car, the exact car I want, I mean, I'm talking exact options, exact color, to the T, no exceptions, they would be willing to wait four weeks for that car. So, okay, I'd wait a month for my and, – and they think that they can make less cars, make more on them, and people will be more satisfied in their purchases. And at that point, people are probably trading less, and when they are trading, the values of their cars are more set in stone because everybody kind of p- did the same deal. Yeah. You know, everybody ordered the car they really wanted. So most people, when they go to trade a car, are saying, well, I really don't need a new car. I just want one. Yeah. But if you're really kind of forced to pick and order and whatever, I mean – is it going to hurt the business? I don't know. But I know the last three years have been incredibly crazy. There have been times when I thought, well, time to get out of this business. And then there have been times like, I'll never leave this business. Yeah, and this is all within a, a three-year span. Yeah, the roller coaster ride was it's unbelievable. Was unbelievable. It, it was like a career, right? Um, in three ro- years. In three years. Yeah. You know, and then we talk about the people that came into the car business oh. during those three years. That have no idea what it was like before, yeah. and so how many of those guys you got that you've been working with? It's been, I'm talking guys right that's, that was making ten grand a month that in a normal market yeah. would be making you know two grand. Two grand, yeah. I mean, I have people that have never sold cars that have come in and made more money than they've ever seen in their lives, and it's it's not because of anything that's real. I mean, they're doing a great job, but let's be honest. I mean, if you walk in and somebody has the car you want, you're probably buying it. If you're a consumer, yeah. What are you going to shop? Well, I'm going to shop one in California. Have yeah. at it. I mean, what's your time worth and what's shipping worth to you? I mean, you can't, you know, a car that I used to ship cars all over. We still ship cars. We ship cars all over the place. And, you know, it used to be nothing to ship a car for $1,000, $1,500. You can't ship a car for less than three grand these days if it goes anywhere past a state or two. It, you know, these guys are charging because the fuel's so much more. You know, getting a trailer, I mean, that's logistic wise right now. We have cars that are sitting in rail yards waiting to be shipped to us. They're making cars. The logistics is a 50% or more of cars getting to dealers. They're just not getting there. I have people that, you know, it's shown their cars in the States or it's in a it's, it's in a holding port and they can't get shipped. You know, you've got now people asking, can I go pick up my car from a rail yard? And, you know, they're not doing that because there's a destination charge that's pre-built into all cars. It's on the MSRX and the Moroni stuff. And so how, how hard did it used to be to try to sell a car out of state or, no. you know, you're – it was total sales prevention where they're like, uh, when they would be figure here. it out. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. that's what that's what um, Steve would say to me because I would c- I would 
I would vent those deals. I, d I was good on the phone. Yeah. I hawked the yeah. phone. Yep. You know, I was getting those calls, and um, and literally, it started from Chris Houston. Mm -hmm. um, like Chris, like he was the only guy that would. He was like all about sales. No matter what, take everything out of the way, every objection. Make the deal. Find, make the deal. Find out what it takes to put the deal together. So I learned that from Houston, and then Steve would just be like, "Fine, just figure it out yeah. and bring me the information." But we're not. I, I'm not doing it. Yeah. You know what's crazy? When I first got into business, the the guy that taught me everything, um, one of my mentors, he had a, he had a four step process when he said, "You know, your job is to number one, deliver the car." First and foremost, nothing happens till a car gets sold. You have to deliver the car, then you have to do it legally. <laughs> yeah, you have to do it the right way, because especially if you're shipping cars out of state, there are so many legalities. If you screw up one thing, you're you have a bad day. Um, number three is okay. Now you've sold that car. Number three is how do you make money? And people think it should be the opposite. Well, how much are we going to make on this deal? Nobody cares. Sell the car. Nothing happens till you sell a car. So you, you got to kind of look at things differently. But factoring and shipping and all this, I mean, you got people from, there was a time, this will tell you how crazy the business is the last three years. We didn't sell a car out of state for about probably a year and a half. We told people, no, we will not take your money. Yeah. Do you know how insane that is in the business that is based off sales? Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a lot of relationships um, because we took a lot of people out of the market yeah. too, you know? I mean, the, the, the real writing isn't on the wall yet of the people that are... Um, you know, already setting at 30, 40% more yeah. on their contract, than yeah. right? I just talked to a lady the other day who bought a Kia Telluride during the mass hysteria, <laughs> paid multiple thousand dollars over MSRP. She owed $72,000 on this Telluride a year later. It was worth $34,000. Wow. There's going to be a lot of that, bro. So I mean, it's catastrophic. Do you, have you heard, because uh, I could look for the LinkedIn article that I was on, but banks are changing some of their stipulations and waiving trading in the other vehicle. Yes. Because there's banks that have already foreseen that they have all this money to loan on cars, and they're not going to be able to loan this money right. on cars because these people aren't going to be able to trade these cars in. They're stuck in it, but these banks are willing to risk risk throwing another bank under the bus yeah. by saying this $800 payment that they no longer can afford, mm -hmm. we'll put them in a $600 payment. They'll let that one go back and they'll keep ours. Yeah. So um, it's, I, I, I read the article that there's banks that are now saying they're waiving the trade your open auto. Yeah. Do you want to hear how crazy it is? I've had more than one prime bank tell me, Oh, we know that this deal was probably not going to pay out, but I can charge this person 12% on a $40,000 car. If they make a year or two's worth of payments, that's the equivalent of a six-year loan two years ago at 3%. So the banks are making the same money on a, a car they know is never going to pay out, right? Sure. So think about it. If I'm a bank and I loan 40 grand on a car that in a normal market is probably worth 30, so if this person pays a year or two on a 40 grand loan at 12%, that bank's going to make probably three to five grand in interest depending on how they pay it how quickly and how much over their normal payment. So they get three to five grand. Go back to a 72-month loan on a 1.9 yeah. on a, on a $35,000, $40,000 car. The interest charge to get all together was $2,200, or give or take. You know, I'm, I'm just winging math, but it wasn't much more than that. So now here's the even better part for the bank, the bank side, not the consumer. So now 
in two years, what you just said happens. They let that car go back. They've made $4,500 in interest. The car goes to auction and sells for twenty five, and they owe thirty. They get to sue for the five grand. They'll get their money, or they'll get a portion of it. Sure, they'll sell that debt to somebody so else to a collection company for two grand, and now they make another two grand off the four grand interest. That, so they've made six grand on a deal that they knew was going to put the consumer in a horrible position, as far as equity payment, the whole deal. It's not their problem. Your bank's not your friend. They're they're there to make money. I have to tell a close um, that I witness Mike do. And um, I've had a few interesting ones. You've probably seen some things. <laughs> and uh, but it was hilarious because we were dealing with a guy um, who was clearly headed towards bankruptcy. He okay. like, like you're clearly on the path, right? Oh, yeah, for some reason, though, you got approved. Yeah. You know, for some reason, you got approved. And you know, and he's like, you know, I don't know. He's like, you're not going to pay it anyway. What? Right, try so, it for a while. See so how it feels. See how it feels. You know, yeah, they, you they, get tired of it. Stop. You know, signs. Or, yeah. You know. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. You're right. <laughs> I mean, I, I tell people this all the time. It's like, look, I don't know where you're going to be in a year. I know where you're at now. You, you came in to buy a car. There, I mean, I I'm not your you know financial advisor. I, I all I can tell you is you can buy the car, and that's what it takes to buy it. I I've, you know. I've been in sales essentially for 25 years, and I, I've never really, I don't think, had to hard close many people. You just literally talk to them and go, can we make sense of this or not? Yeah. You know, and, and you look at some of the, like, I still hear these stories. You know, we talk in this business all the time about the nonsense that goes on in dealerships, right? And it, it is it is nonsense. There's a lot of fun that goes on in dealerships. But you got about 20, 25% of dealers that are doing things in a really bad way, and therein lies the stereotype. Take any group of anything, and if 25% of them are doing absolute nonsense, you know, not doing things the way they should, therein lies the stereotype. But if you walk into most dealerships, you know in about five minutes what kind of dealership this is. And if you can tell the employees are happy, they're greeting you, they're happy to help each other, they're happy to help you as a consumer. You know, I've walked into dealerships where you feel like you're, you're doing them, they're doing you a favor. It should be the other way around. Um, it's crazy. It is crazy, and there, there's so many d variations and differences between dealerships. It, oh, it's, and then it's you insane. throw in brands, yeah. and then the clientele basis, yes. right? Yes. So you go from our blue-collar Buick or GMC, mm -hmm. you know, with where we were located and whatnot. You know, we had a lot of blue-collar. We, wor we, weren't, we weren't Chevy blue-collar. Even between, I was just going to say, even between GMC and, and Chevy, there's a huge difference in that customer. Well, huge and then difference. it would be funny, so I... I spend a lot of time in that sector, and then I go to the import store, and I'm at a Honda store. Oh. And I'd sit over, and I would think about, like, the person waiting for service at a Honda store. Like, literally, many times I saw Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Right? That's I saw somebody, <laughs> you know, that had a pipe that wasn't lit, yeah. that, but had one of those hats that went both ways. Weirdest, weirdest customer group I ever uh, dealt with was Acura Buyers. Really? I was at an Acura store for a short time. That's the weirdest group of people I've ever seen in my life. Because they can afford whatever, and they still choose to buy an Acura. I mean, that's funny to me, because, like, <laughs> I'll say that, and that's going to dork Acura people, the, the one that's listening. But at the same time, um, you know. Pete, I mean, baby. Yeah, Pete likes yeah, Acura. Pete loves yeah. it. I talked to Pete the other day. Happy birthday, Pete. <laughs> I, I wished him a birthday the other day. But it's like, you know, I mean, my God, Acura, um, that's a weird brand. It's like everybody knows what a Lexus is. That's People want Lexus. Yeah. You know, people Infinity, that's a little sporty. What's an Acura? Well, well, yeah, what, just buy the high-end Honda. What's an Acura? Just buy the Honda. I mean, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's exactly the same thing. Are you get in the, uh, I don't know the difference. There probably is one, but are you get a Lexus, you know it. You know, yeah. you get an Infinity, you kind of know it. You get an Acura, 
don't know what you're doing. Yeah, so um, Chris, we had an idea um, for a little, like kind of a, a wall of whiskey, mm-hmm. um, which was, and uh, threw it out there that, you know, if you're going to be a, be a guest on the show, you'd bring a bottle of whiskey for the, for the uh, shelf. Yeah. And then, as you guys know, let's see if you can hear this or not. Um, we do the. I'll take an A. Oh. You hear that, right? <laughs> so um, w- we got a we got a wheel, um, you know, a spin to win, a dealership wheel, and um, we're gonna put on there the the names of the drinks, the whiskeys, the, the liquor that we have, and then you're supposed to spin the wheel of whiskey or um, whatever we're gonna call it, mm. and um, then you would take a, a shot of that. And it was supposed to start at the beginning of the episode, um, so but we started talking and yeah, and here we are. So. Yeah, and here's a, here's another thing. We need to rethink this, I think, because we said that we we're gonna have uh, Mike bring us a bottle. I said, are we at that level now with our three listeners, where our guests bring <laughs> us? Yes. So usually we have something. So what did you sound? say? I said it sounds like an elaborate ruse to increase your uh, whiskey uh, collection. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I appreciate the only reason for this podcast. The thing about it is, like, you guys know I don't drink. Like, yeah, me neither. I'm not. Yeah, I don't drink. You know, so I mean, if I have any whiskey or liquor, it's two, three times a year. Yeah. You know, and it's usually under peer pressure. Oof. Yeah. You know, so um, so. We since Mike said no, he he's like no, I, I can't do that right now, and I wanted to say no, I can't do that right now, but then Chris said we're gonna do it, but since we don't have the thing filled out, what do we have to drink, Chris? We have to drink a shot of Fireball, which the last time I had Fireball, it came out my nose. Yeah, this sounds like a horrible idea, <laughs> um, and I'm glad. The last to be time I had Fireball was at a tent sale. At a tent sale. <laughs> I'm not shocked. I mean, let's be honest. At a tent sale, that's probably the least uh, shocking thing. I was at ever. the worst tent sale in history. Ever. <clears throat> My first five days in the car business was at a tent sale. Imagine that welcoming. Was uh, that with us? No. That was when I first started uh, with a group on the south side of Indy. I was literally, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, my wife was... Um, Basically, uh, she's an attorney, and she was away. She was studying abroad um, in law school in Europe, and I had decided I was at college at IU, and I said, I got to get out of here. Like, you know, Bloomington can suck you in. I love Bloomington, but you can wake up and be 40 in Bloomington and go, what happened? Um, It's very easy to get stuck down there. And I took a job in sales after I had just gotten through IU, studied chemistry, and people, you know, figure out I don't want to do this for the rest of my life, and you think, what am I going to do? And I end up uh, selling cars, and after about two weeks of selling cars, my GM said, yeah, that selling cars is not for you. I think finance is more your speed. And I thought, God, I can't even sell cars. What are we doing? And two, in two, two weeks. weeks. Two weeks I was in a finance office. And, and, the, and the probably two weeks after that, my GM was gone. Yeah, too, but you, but you had um, a skill set. I mean, it, I really didn't at that point, if you want to know the truth. I'm, what I, I'm talking like in the office. Yeah, I mean, I've always been very organized and very analytical just because of my chemistry, I guess I would say, background. But like sales, I had zero experience in sales. But what I did know is I loved cars, and I really was interested in money. I've always been really interested in finance, um, just how money works. And it's always been interesting to me to see how business works with, with the way money moves. 
Um, you know, that's a whole thing that in business when you learn the, you know, how money moves through a business. It, 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 you, you learn really quick what kind of business you're in. Yeah. And realistically, the car business, if you want to know the truth, it's you're constantly chasing a really big loan. And you want to put more in every month than what it takes to cover that loan by as much as you can. Because everything in a dealership is floor plan for the most part. Some dealers don't floor plan their used cars. Some do, some don't. But basically, you know, dealers don't own that inventory. I mean, they're, they're paying interest on it. And that's why right now you can be selling less cars and make more money because you're not paying any interest every month. Ever, we're selling out our inventory two times over every month. Well, you're it's insane. Some of the, the there's some of the best around doing that, but I know a lot of stores with um, average age of inventory is sixty over sixty days. I, I can't wrap my head around that, Cole. I'll be honest with you. I mean, we we are like last month we sold 170 some cars. Um, we keep on total, ha- total new and, used, new and used, but I'm only getting 30 to 40 new cars a month. I used to get 100, 150. Um, and of those 30 or 40 that come in, everyone's sold. E- every single one's pre-sold. Um, so you really, it's like sell something that you can't show somebody. You can't get them excited about it. You can't let them drive because it's all sold. I can't let you drive that car. I'd let you sit in it. But if, if that car gets wrecked or they don't want miles put on their car, that's someone's car. That they've waited four months for. S- uh, sometimes a year. Just know the more technology your car has in it right now, the more you're going to wait for it. We're getting hybrids um, that are, you know, um, gear out. I mean, nine months. You hear people go, I only waited nine months. I'm like, I wouldn't wait nine months for almost anything. I mean, I wait nine months for my son. I don't wait in line. That's about it. I don't wait in line. You know, that's why I don't go to Kings Island. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, and people are waiting that for a car that they're happy to pay MSRP for. They're ecstatic to pay MSRP for. So, um pricing where you're at yes. is is are you just msrp or yes. on everything everything we do not charge a premium on our cars never have never will thank god i work during the whole time the whole time well never. did you have but did you have extra mop and glow that had no, to be purchased nothing nothing sales tax documentation fee that's it that's all we charge um we my owner got, i'm so happy to work for the owner i work for has always said, I will not do that to my customers because in the long run, and that's uh, that's why we didn't sell out of state for a lot of years, you know, uh, for during this pandemic. Because if I sell a car to somebody out of state at MSRP, because we wouldn't mark them up for out of state either. So somebody's calling from California going, they're charging me ten grand over on this Forerunner. I'll buy yours at MSRP. That's fine, but like we've run the President's Award for like nine or ten years in a row from Toyota. You have to have retention levels and service. Yeah, why? You have I, to I'm one hundred percent the correct response. During the pandemic, which is was my stance, is why would I sell it to you? I'll never see you. Again. I'll never see you again in my service department. Ever. You're, you know, by no the time you're ready to get rid of that car, you're not going to come back and I'm trade not gonna it here. Get it back. Yeah, no. I lost that car. And, 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 and so those were the call. That's why I didn't. Yeah. And um, that's the right mindset. And I agree. And even if it was ten thousand dollars over, doesn't matter. Didn't matter. It's real. And not only that, but like, okay, so I sell that car. That allocation's gone. I get no trade. And now well, somebody I, I wouldn't sell the car if you didn't have a trade. Correct. We did a lot of that too. We're still doing that. Well, I, it's, it's, it's just getting it, bad. It's again. just and that's just, and you, and listen. I got there was complaints over it, yeah. and I had to be questioned about it. Right. And I would be like, well, that's just the right business decision. Yeah. We, now you know this. So for as long as we've worked in the car business, what has the one saying always been? You will get talked to over gross, and you will get fired over units. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. been the way it's been forever. Now you are literally having people, your, your owner asking you, I don't care how many you've sold this week. What's your net number? Meaning, are you plus or minus on the week trade-ins versus what you bought? Like I was telling you before we got in here, 
we sold 35, let's call it 35 cars last week. We bought 25. I'm negative minus 10. Or if you keep 200 cars, you, you don't have many weeks you can do that at. You know, we've operated in this business for years on a 60 to 90 day inventory amount. Meaning if no more cars were produced ever, you'd have about three months worth of inventory on the ground in the country. Yeah. We're down to single digit days right now. Yeah. And it has been for like two years. People do not understand that, how crazy that is. You want to hear frustration. I had a gentleman uh, about a month ago, great customers, bought probably 10 cars from us, buys a new Camry hybrid that he waited forever on. Some dummy hits him, totals the car, not because our car's really totaled. The safety sense radar system in the front of it got damaged. It's about a $6,000 part. Well, guess what happens now if an insurance company can't get a part in a certain amount of days to repair your car? They total it. You've got a car that's got less than $10,000, call it seven or $8,000 worth of total damage with labor on a $45,000 new car, so they totaled the car, right? Now the customer has to go get another one. Can't get one. So he had to buy a used Malibu with 68,000 miles on it that he overpaid for because that's what the market is to wait now nine months, and he's praying that in nine months when his hybrid comes in that it doesn't take a turn, and now he's lost five or $6,000 on his, on his Malibu that he didn't want, but he has to have a car. That is the insanity of our business right now. Can you imagine being told as a customer? I can't sell you, you this car. Yeah, you don't live in this zip. You don't live 46038, so yeah. you can't Sorry buy a car. You. you know, and a sales guy, I mean, how frustrating is that to be like? Well, and that's the side people don't see. Like, I've got a the best salesman I've got. I mean, he sells cars all over the country. He sells 45 cars a month, no matter what. I don't care what's going on. That's what he does, 30, 40 cars a month. And he's super frustrated right now because he can't sell cars to certain people. And I get that. Um, but also, too, he has to understand that if we do that for a year, we don't have a store anymore. Yeah. Um, and that's the big picture. As a manager, you have to look at is like the longevity and sustainability of the dealership. And if my service department isn't full every day, I'm doing an injustice. It doesn't matter what I've made on that car. If I never see you again, I've lost. Yeah. That, that, that does not ride very long. Well, we're going to take a pause right here because I got this shot sitting in front mm. of me, a fireball that I'm smelling it. Yeah, I'm, I'm smelling it. And and it's, I feel it's, bad. I've been, it's been making me s nauseated, so, but I'm going to do it. Mm. Um, we may or may not be back after this, Pat, God. based on how this goes. <sighs> See you in the morning, kids. Oh, my God. I, for, for everybody who's listening, I am not doing I'm watching them, enjoying oh them God. doing it. That looked terrible. Oh, it was so bad. Yeah, it looked mm. awful. <laughs> Oof. I think it's delicious. Oh, my God. Mm. It's like cinnamon toast crunch. God, if I'd have known you guys were going to do the shots, I'd have brought like some really awful, like old granddad 101 or something. We'd have, we'd have hurt you. <laughs> Bad dog. I, I just want to thank God that we're doing this podcast from the 103rd floor and we have an elevator <laughs> like no yeah. other. So what do you think about coming to the 103rd floor to the Car Snoop Studios? I mean, it's, it's a... Um, you know, it's a compound. It's impressive. I mean, they talk about Joe Rogan's podcast. I, I would be shocked if it was any better. I'd be shocked. Well, you go by the cold the cold tanks, you know. Right. Yep. Yeah, you, you know, have the deprivation chamber out there. You know, yeah. it's always interesting. The archery yeah. range looks good. <laughs> Pat McAfee's Thunderdome <laughs> has nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, the shooting that. range is not done yet. I'll be interested to see the ventilation system on that when yeah. it's done. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah it, it, uh, it, it, was a, it, it was an investment, but we wanted I'm to. I'm into it. Hey, I'm into it. You know. Um, so that's done. I finally took that shot, and I feel like, why did I take that shot? Yeah. yeah. Regret yeah. is real. Yeah. Um, so finance. Yeah. Tell me how it's been with the customer mm -hmm. 
um, on what it's like get them to sign, right? Yeah. I mean, I from mean, where they were to where. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, like anything else, people were at first, you know, the first probably two months, people were like, what do you mean in SO? I'm not going to pay. It's like, you guys don't understand. And you know, they would come back and go, okay, you're right. I'll, I'll buy it at that price. I was shocked how fast the consumers immediately went to it. Went yeah. to like, immediately. Because, okay. and I, I said, there's probably conversations happening at yeah. church and whatnot, right? Um, I did, I went to three places. Yeah. And it didn't work. Yeah. So, well, and I'll tell you, um, you know, for years in our business, um, you know, the customer that walks in and goes, now, look, I don't want to haggle on this car. And, you know, we're always like, good, we don't either. That's why there's a price on it. Like, every haggle that has ever began has been initiated by a customer because they don't want to pay the prices on the window sticker. I've never in- initiated uh, negotiations ever in my life. Never. Yeah. I don't want to. There's the car. If you'd like to buy it, say yes, and we'll get you out of here in 10 minutes. They always want to haggle. It's like the customer that walks in and goes, who wants to sell a car today? And any good salesman <laughs> goes, not me, because, you know, that's not going to be an exactly. easy sale. I mean, let's yeah. be honest, okay? So now, for the first couple months, people couldn't get over the pricing thing. Then they really got their head spun around when they started looking at financing. And it was fun at first to go, go, t- go call your bank, see what they offer. Um, but now, people are ecstatic when you tell them the interest rate under 10%. If I could do it over again. And I, something I would do over again the last three years is if I'd have known what it would be like to be able to sell vehicles and not have to overcome objections, mm-hmm. which was what I was the best at. Yeah. It was just overcoming objections, taking down walls, and figure, and showing you that you can do it. Right? Yeah. I was good at it before. If I had was be able to do it in that environment, how much money I'd have made in the last three years? You know what's funny? Cars. Guys that are real good at objection handling are struggling right now. Why? Because they don't. People are still not just saying yes. You'd be shocked. I'm talking when there was only one car. Yeah. There it was. Here's the price. You take would, it or leave it. You would be surprised how many people are struggling that are old in the business because they want those. They're they're trying to bring out an objection that doesn't exist. Well. I've seen it happen. I've seen guys that during when it was you had to negotiate everything, they, I would put them in with anybody. I go get somebody that's green now that doesn't know what they're doing, and I'll put them in front of that person because they just want somebody to take the order. They don't need objections handled. They don't need anything brought up. It's that easy. Um, and it's made some people that think they're really good salespeople are going to find out if things go back. It's, it's going to be ugly for them. It's it's a, it took an adjustment for me, too, because I, I get, came back in right when it was ordering only. Yeah. So yeah. you were selling an order. You weren't selling yeah. a car. Yeah. And myself, that r- enjoyed the relationship, uh, building the relationship with the yeah. the customer, which I thought was always important, mm-hmm. but it'd cover up what I know and what I didn't know. But the thing was, is I wasn't, they're coming in, they're sitting down, I'm going to show you what's coming in, here it is, Yeah. and then that's it. It's like $500. And well, I'll call you when it comes in. It's really funny because, you know, finance is very different from the selling of the car. I mean, you know that. You've been in the business for a long time. When you're selling a car, you're, you're selling the excitement of the car. You know, get in it, smell it, touch it, go drive it. I mean, you go drive some of these cars. If you're not excited to buy it after that, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, some of these cars are amazing. But what we do in finance is very different. We've never sold excitement. We've sold paper. Here, this piece of paper's $3,000. You want to buy it? Well, no, nobody does. You have to explain to them why it's wise to do. So during this pandemic, it's been easier for me because it's very cut and dry. Sales guys have struggled some because they're not selling the sizzle anymore. 
they're selling the availability of the car. That's what I've done for years. It's very hard on some experienced salespeople to, to, to do that. They want to get people excited, and people aren't excited to buy the car. They're just happy they're getting it. Mm-hmm. That's weird for a sales guy that, well, that sells off too, of emotion. It, it, it makes the sales process a shorter experience, yep. too. Lots of times, you know, the relationships that you build in the car business, I can tell you multiple people that pr- at the initial um, conversation or up, yeah. the two of us didn't like each other. Yeah. And, and, then, and now... Um, all these years later, I've sold every single person in their family a car, yeah. um, stayed in their vacation house, yeah. you know, because the relationship was built and yeah. it took time to build it. Um, so the, the, the lost relationships from ups that you had by not having yeah. inventory that you could be building on your, you know, your portfolio yeah. to because, well, last week we had Pete, you know, that, that store was... 60% lease penetration yeah. prior, yeah. and then now you're looking at, you know, 15% lease yeah. penetration. So the return on people coming back into your store, long-term service, all those things, you're, it's never going to be the same. You know, one thing that got brought up a ton, and still gets brought up, because I think uh, Ford Motor Company is basically, you know, they're really at, at odds with their dealers right now. I mean, I think it's a pretty common thing. They just had their Ford dealer meeting, and there was actually a Ford big dealer principal that basically said, um, he, he, it was so contentious between the manufacturer and the dealers that he made shirts made up that basically said, you know, Ford hates their dealers or something to that nature. I don't remember the exact story, but it, people in the car business know this happened. Um, you, st- you know, Doug would probably tell you about the Ford dealer meeting. It was pretty contentious. Really? Um, oh, it's, it's very contentious. Doug would be good to have on here. Yeah, you should reach out to him because he can tell you some of that stuff from Ford. That's re- Ford is really crazy right now. They're, they're really at odds with their dealers. Well, you know what? Doug... Is one of the guys that I thought of over the E, the E, yeah. be it, right? It, yeah. Is he investing in the electric? I think you have to. I think you're well, forced e- to. Either, well, you don't. It's either yeah, you yeah. don't or you're pretty much. Or you go away. You go away. You go away. They banish you or they just kind of, you know, starve I, you so out. So I was really, I, w- I, th- I thought of him and I thought, man, if they throw a million dollars or a mm-hmm. $750,000 investment, his from a guy that does a really good job in his market. Yeah, but you're you selling know, 20 new cars a month at the height of your how, new cars. How, how do you return your money on How do you I return mean, your money? They, the tools, the, 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 the plug-in. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're going to have enough up there where he's at. Look, every friend, and you know this, every friend that you have that's not in the car business thinks the car business is the funnest, coolest thing in the world. <laughs> I mean, they all do. Like, my wife's a lawyer. Anytime I'm around a bunch of lawyers, all no, they want right. to do is talk about the car business because well, they think it's fun. It's a really hard gig. It's really long hours. You know how it is. It's tough. But I will tell you, all these people that say, well, now's the time. You can get rid of dealers. And that's kind of what Ford has has said they want to do. Let me tell you a secret that the manufacturers don't want anybody to know. And this is really going to hurt some people's feelings. The manufacturer doesn't want to deal with you as a customer. They want to make cars, and they want to fix them when they break. They do not want to take calls from you. They don't want to hear your complaints. They don't want you, the person that calls three times a week because they hear a noise and they're crazy. Nobody wants to talk about that, but that's real. I mean, I have, you know, it's like police. You ever talk to cops and they go, oh, yeah, we know who this is before we pull up. We know what we're yeah. going to walk into. We have customers like that. We know the crazy people that are yeah. going to come in. So now here's the trick. Why do dealers still exist? Well, we exist because we are the only, we are the only business where you are making major purchases that are still relation-based. You can go to any dealer in the world and for the most part, within reason, buy the car for the same amount. You're not buying the car. You're buying the dealership. You're buying, if I have a problem, I know I can call this person. 
if I know my friend needs something, I can put him in touch with him and he will take care of it. There isn't another industry out there where relationships matter more than the car business because you can go buy something from Walmart and, and it breaks, good luck. You know, go buy a fridge and then have an issue with Lowe's. And Lowe's doesn't talk to you. They send you to the manufacturer. Yeah. Well, the manufacturer doesn't want to talk to you either. Mm-hmm. Imagine in cars. Imagine you have a, a, a case in a car where a consistent issue, and you have to go to a corporate store where every time you walk in, somebody's different. You know, it's some new guy because he doesn't want to put up with it either. The dealer, the manufacturers don't want to deal with customers. They want to make cars. That's well, why dealers exist. They, um, they've, they've really harnessed the Tesla way. Um, over the, during the pandemic, right? It used to be, I want everybody to come into this dealership yeah. and, and see what I've built. Yeah. Um, and then why are you taking cars and delivering up to their, at their house? Don't do that. Yeah. To advertising that we're going to do that now. Yeah. We're going to bring it to you. Right. You know? A- and again, dealers are very good at adapting to what customers want. I mean, that's the beauty of the dealerships. Well, not, that's the funny thing because I, 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 I completely do. disagree yeah. from the standpoint of, it's it's the one industry that is really still the same, right? From from a day to day, how it works, from the office to the office mm-hmm. girls, how every office is, to service manager issues, to parts department issues. Now, granted, they all it, it's very archaic. It um, is at some stores. I, I, a lot of stores. I from my. Just because um, you've been at one location a lot longer mm-hmm. th- twice. Yeah, yeah. Um, you I know, don't move much. And I've moved. Yeah. And um, I've I, it's never been uh, lateral. Yep. You know, it's always been. But but still, I've been in ins and outs mm-hmm. of different and even different states. Oh yeah, different you states. Know? Is crazy. So um, it, it really is the same. Mm-hmm. Just depends on you know w- which person's playing and which which person's like which department's worse. Yeah. But the same problems are at every store. Keys, yeah. Um, employees, right? Um, a- and then, you know, the, then the manufacturer issues and, and CSI mm-hmm. and all those things. So you, you can do something really well. I always pride myself on doing a really, really, really good job. And then I'd get a bad CSI because of a guy that's that's in the detail department sure. and, wha- and what he did in, in the during the detail. Oh, yeah. And then I get a bad survey because yeah. of a guy that's making an hourly wage. Yeah, CSI has has made the car business. It, it's made really average dealers bad. It's made bad dealers go away. And it's made really good dealers hate their customers yeah. to an extent. And not, not in a hate way. I shouldn't say it that way. But, I mean, customers know they can hold literally hold you hostage for a survey. Yeah. Literally. We'll, we'll come back and talk about surveys. We're going to take a break. Because um, this is going to be a two-part episode. Because I learned that last time, last week. So I apologize. The, the, I got I did listen I'm not saying we have thousands of listeners but we got over 20 and I got some phone calls that they enjoyed the Pete Lukowitz um, episode but it, guys it cut off at one hour and uh, I didn't know that and so we're gonna um, pause have a break and um, but I will say real quick while I have my mind on it when I was in Michigan talking about CSI and whatnot um, you know at that time Chrysler was the they really really were pushing the the um, four-star dealer yeah right mm-hmm. so that that four-star program for dealerships with csi and service and all those things and you could advertise that you're a four-star dealer and um you know uh, it was like impossible to hit mm-hmm. well the largest chrysler dodge jeep dealership um group up in michigan is like graph mm-hmm. 
and I think it was draft, and, and, what, and what he did was um, they were having a problem hitting their four-star dealership, right, and it was costing them money. So he changed his advertising, and he went on television and said that he was Michigan's only three-star dealer. Mm -hmm. And then he went into, like, three-star generals and all, yeah. you know. Yeah. And just, and so he just like, all right, yeah, we're, we're, he just opted out of the entire yeah. program. Not interested. Yeah. Don't need it. Yeah. Hey, we're Michigan's only three-star dealer. Come yeah. see us. Yeah. You know, it's like, what a F you, yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's just, hey, we're going to do what we do, and if it doesn't fit that program, we're going to do it the best we, we are, and it'll work out. Yeah, so we're going to take a break, and uh, this is um, episode 5A. I don't know. Sure. Something A1. like A1.4. A, A be right back. <laughs>